Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jason. I hope you are as well. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I want to start out uh, today with uh, somewhat of, of a civics lesson because that's something that's really important to me. As an attorney, I certainly believe in this country being... Uh, a country that is based on law, a very important concept. Um, But, you know, I I recognize that there are lots of folks out there um, who don't appreciate some of the things that I believe that they have other opinions. And I respect that. You know, it's none of us agree with with one another. Um, uh, Not completely heck my wife doesn't agree with me about a lot of stuff my kids don't agree with me and there are lots of friends that don't agree with me i'm okay with that but i really think it's important for us to put things in perspective um to i mean for me today feels more normal than it has in a number of years uh, but what we have witnessed in the last uh, couple weeks uh, tells all of us that our freedom is something that's fragile. It's not automatic. We've got to protect it. We've got to embrace it. And the fact is, something my daddy taught me long ago, is that freedom uh, requires responsibility, you know, responsibility for our actions. It, re- it requires us, it's, freedom is not free. I mean, that's a well-worn phrase. I hate to even use it because of that, but it requires something of us. Um, and, you, you know, uh, uh, the, the president, that is uh, President Biden, ha- wants to unify the country. Uh, I, I'm 100% behind that, but it's really important for all of us to understand that unity does not mean that we agree with each other. <laughs> That's never going to happen, <laughs> you know, um, and, and it never has been the case, but the real key is that we respect each other's ability to have our own opinions, to have our uh, 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 the way our faith uh, is can be different. Uh, all of I mean, we're different peoples. We're all unique human beings, uh, and um, uh, it, it's important uh, that we. Um, simply uh, respect each other. We, we you know, I, I can't imagine anybody not embracing the concept of freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom to bear arms, the freedom of the press, the freedom of religion. They're all ingrained in us, but each freedom comes with responsibility. It doesn't mean that we can say anything we want to say in every environment. It, it, you can't go into a movie theater when there's not a fire and yell fire. I mean, that's illegal conduct. You can't uh, assemble for the fur- purpose of an insurrection. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you, you know, uh, the right to bear arms comes with limitations, and, and that's okay as long as they don't try to take away 
uh, firearms that are needed. Um, you know, freedom of the press is one of the most important freedoms to keep us free so that there is someone out there who is challenging everything that's said and done by the government and by corporations and by leaders. Uh, if we didn't have that, we, we uh, would be in trouble. Um, obviously, freedom of religion is pretty darn important uh, to all of us uh, because we want to believe what we believe, but we're not going to agree with the, each other ever but respect is the is the key ingredient. It's also really important for us to recognize that our country is not perfect. It has never been perfect. It will never be perfect. So it really comes down to how close can we get to the ideal. And frankly, uh, you know, most of us like to think that we uh, have been created equal. But the fact is, is that when this country was founded, um, the uh, phrase that all men are created equal didn't really mean every person was created equal. It actually meant men, and it doesn't, didn't mean all men. <laughs> it certainly didn't include black men. Uh, it didn't include a lot of folks. And, and, you know, I've said this before, but when this country was founded and the right to vote was established, only 4%, 4% of this country were eligible to vote. Women couldn't vote. Blacks couldn't vote. Uh, non-landowners couldn't vote. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving a few categories out, but when you basically took away all the people who couldn't vote, there were only 4% of this country's population left to vote. Now, we've made a lot of darn good progress since then, <laughs> and that means an awful lot, but at each stage was, in essence, a fight to overcome. Uh, you know, we and this country, you know, the fact is that, you know, we've we've had assassinations. They, they didn't come from outside, whether you go to Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, you know, this is where people did not respect each other and took it to the the length that could be taken, uh, unfortunately. And in each case, it ended in tragedy for this, this country. Um, so, and of course, the same thing is true for many policies, you know, not just internally, but externally uh, as well. Uh, and our country's never going to be perfect. So again, we have to get back to a point where we, we, we respect each other and agree to disagree. Those are wonderful words, Bill, and uh, I really like the words of your father, with freedom comes responsibility, and that's something that uh, we can all reflect upon, and if we treat each other with a little bit more respect, I think it goes a long way. We have to take a quick break, but we are going to get into some other discussions here when it comes to asset protection and also tax shelters. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us today. And 
Bill. Looking forward to our discussion. We had a little civics lesson, and uh, you were reflecting <laughs> on some words of your father, and uh, there's some other things that he said that well, stuck with you. Well, uh, another phrase that my, my dad used frequently uh, was that we all put our pants on the same way. And, That's a good one. And what he meant was doesn't matter our background, rich, poor, black, white, uh, you know, recent immigrant, been here for hundreds of years. It doesn't matter. We all put our pants on the same way. And we deserve respect from each other regardless because we're all unique human beings, but we put our pants on the same way. And that's, you know, to me that's important. There are a lot of folks that um, maybe it's important for you to know more about my own background. Uh, So I'll I'll mention that very briefly because I actually do come from a very middle-class background. However, privileged, more so than most people, and here's, here's, I mean, bottom line. If I go to my grandfather, uh, my grandfather was extraordinarily wealthy. He would have been in the top one-tenth of one percent. But guess what? The Great Depression occurred, and my grandfather was a cotton trader. I mean, he supplied cotton to most of the textile mills in North Carolina. Uh, extremely wealthy, but when the stock market crashed, uh, he had a trainload of cotton on the tracks, and they rotted because they couldn't sell. So as my Uncle Lewis told me, and my Uncle Lewis was my mentor uh, for an awful lot of things, where my dad was not my mentor, he was, but my Uncle Lewis was as well. My Uncle Lewis told me, Five little rich boys overnight became five little poor boys. (laughs) My dad was one of five uh, uh, males in the family. There was one crazy female, Aunt Margaret. But but (laughs) but the bottom line is is that they became poor overnight, and so they had to, in essence, pull up their bootstraps and find a way to support themselves. They moved to Durham basically rented a home that became a boarding house. They put all their kids through school. Uh, and each one of them became a professional, including my father. You know, and all of my Aunt Margaret was a school teacher. My uh, uncles, I have one uncle that was a dentist who became a school principal, and the others were either lawyers or dentists. And, and so my dad actually wanted to go to med school, but he couldn't afford it, so he went to law school. And so uh, they were all relatively successful uh, as professionals. Um, uh, And my dad, and uh, the reason that I was privileged was not because of money. My dad never made a ton of money. But he was elected to Congress back when you didn't have to be rich to be elected to, uh, to office. And so... As a member of Congress, when I was young and growing up, it it gave me uh, opportunities to to see and do things that I never would have had the opportunity but for the fact that my dad was in Congress for 10 years. So I had a wonderful education. My dad helped me with that. He paid for my tuition, but like a lot of folks, I had to pay for everything else. I had to work every summer. I had to work during school in order to pay for all of the other expenses that it takes uh, for school. So in in that sense, I was very lucky. When I got out of law school, I had no debt whatsoever. 
You know, there are not many kids that can say that anymore. And, of course, I've been very fortunate in my law practice as well. So I, I can say that I've been successful financially. I can't say I'm rich, not. Uh, but I uh, have done well and supported my family, and I'm very pleased with the fact that things have, have worked very well for me, and I've been very, very fortunate. So that's about that. That's at least some background on me, which I think is important. Um, you know, most people know uh, that uh, I did serve in the legislature one term before folks threw me out. Uh, I did um, serve in the military and retired from the Air National Guard in North Carolina. Uh, and that I've practiced law in North Carolina. This is my 45th year, and uh, I love. I love the law. I love my law practice. Uh, and it's really nice when you're able to enjoy what you do. So there we go. Well, it's uh, nice to get some background on that, Bill. Uh, it's a fascinating story about your family and, uh, you know, that I think gives you a, a unique perspective to uh, a lot of what we discussed earlier in the show. So uh, we are going to get to some asset protection topics. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. There you can find information about Bill's practice. You can book an appointment to speak with him. You can also register for his seminars coming up in February. Just click on that seminars button at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're going to get into a discussion on tax shelters. I do think it is important for folks to know uh, what still exists as a tax shelter um, for your money. Uh, you know, m most CPAs and attorneys will tell you there are very few, if any, tax shelters left, okay? But there are some, and I think uh, each one is important in its own right. Now, first tax shelter, uh, now maybe I shouldn't use the term tax shelter, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. So the first one, quite frankly, is life insurance. And I'm really talking about cash-valued life insurance, and I'm primarily talking about what's considered whole life insurance, because whole life insurance increases its cash value faster and stronger than any other kind of policy. A term life insurance policy is what most young people should have because it's cheap, uh, but unfortunately expires and, ho and rarely does it pay off because thankfully we live past uh, uh, when they cut it off for us. But uh, whole life insurance is in fact a tax shelter because um, now, while the premiums are not deductible, uh, what goes into your policy grows income tax-free, uh, and the income as a death benefit pays out income tax-free. And when you have enough money in the policy to borrow against it, you know, that's a loan, and a loan is not income, so that's not taxable at all. In fact, one of the things that I worry about uh, with this nation is the fact that most families don't have sufficient savings. And uh, I really 
worry about our our young people because when they get to be retirement age, they are not going to have sufficient resources to pay what's needed in retirement. Social Security is st- will still exist, but it's not going to be sufficient to pay for housing uh, and uh, transportation and entertainment and health and all of the other things um, that will be necessary in retirement. So for those families that can afford it, I recommend purchasing life insurance on their young grandchildren or children. And by young, I mean one or two years old. Because if you put over a period of 10 to 20 years, if you put $40,000 into a policy, which is less money than a lot of folks put aside for their children's education, uh, and a lot of grandparents help put aside money for a grandchild's education, but I think they should start thinking more about the grandchild's retirement years than their college years because – Frankly, even if they have a reasonably good job, their ability to save for retirement, at least based on the last 10 years, is less and less and less. So I think retirement is actually a a stronger focus for folks than not. And if you do that uh, with a good company, uh, I recommend this all the time to folks, is that it will create a a nest egg of safe, asset-protected money that can be borrowed against in retirement, which gives a child the ability to to borrow ten dollars to $20,000 per month to pay for retirement expenses and still have a couple million dollars left over for their own children. So, you know, that's a very inexpensive, tax-sheltered, asset-protected asset that is significant. So what else is out there? Now, a lot of folks know that a Roth IRA uh, is tax-sheltered. In other words, once you contribute to a Roth, it grows income tax-free, and it is distributed income tax-free. You know, the only negative uh, at all, if you call it a negative, is that you can't draw out the earnings of your Roth for five years, uh, that, um, but you can draw out the principal with no penalty, but you can't draw out the earnings for five years. Uh, that's okay, uh, because it, you know the fact that it grows income tax-free. It's already tax-paid, if you will. Same thing for your life insurance; works the same way. But that's huge. What's another one? Uh, another one for those who are potentially eligible for it is a health savings account, an HSA. Now, I'm not talking about any of the other health accounts, but the HSA is a tax-sheltered investment. And now, you have to have a high-deductible health plan to have an HSA, and, you know, your employer has to provide a high-deductible health plan. But high-deductible is fairly low, the deductible only, I think it's like $1,500 as opposed to four or $5,000 is all that's required. And then they can provide an HSA. Well, a health savings account, it grows income tax-free. And so I would tell you to maximize out an HSA because it grows income tax-free. And if it's paid out for health expenses, there's no income tax when it is paid out. So it's very much like a Roth 
if the account is used for medical expenses. And, and you don't have to spend it every year. It can grow each year if you don't need it for a deductible or some other medical expense. But you can also use it for uninsured expenses like uh, eyeglasses and dental and, and chiropractic and other um, uh, you know, things that may not be insured under your policy. Um, plus... Uh, if it can be saved for long-term care expenses and, of course, paid out income tax-free for that because that's a medical expense. And if you don't have any medical expense your whole life to use it for, you can still distribute it as a retirement account, but it's not tax-free. It's like a traditional IRA if you don't use it for a health expense. But you know, we all have so much in health expenses, I can't imagine uh, not being able to use it in a tax-free way. So what else is out there? I mean, those are three biggies, but an, another one is a tax-free exchange. Now, it's really not tax-free, it's tax-deferred, but most people have heard of a like-kind exchange, at least for real estate. And in it, technically, we call it a 1031 real estate-like kind exchange. Uh, and what that basically means is you now you can't use this on residential, your own primary residence, but you can use it on any business real estate at all, whether it's in your name, whether it's in an LLC or uh, not. You basically can exchange it without paying the capital gains tax. And what that means is you sell it with a contract that says, I'm going to exchange it, and then you buy similar property. It doesn't have to be the same. You could you could sell a rental house and buy an apartment building. You could, you, I mean, you could sell a, uh, you could basically sell a farm and buy a commercial building. I mean, as long as it's business property, you can exchange it and defer any capital gains tax on the sale which is very advantageous to your children because people do it recognizing that upon their death, their children get what we call a step up in income tax basis. So at that point, the property can be sold. And even if the basis was zero before you died, it's the fair market value at your death. So it can be sold with no capital gains tax by your family. So obviously that kind of exchange is very important. And then there's one other uh, exchange that a lot of folks don't know about, and that's called a 1035 insurance exchange. And so you can actually exchange a life insurance policy for a long-term care policy, or you can exchange an annuity for an annuity, or a life insurance policy for a life insurance policy, or an annuity for a long-term care policy. They're all insurance products, but basically with some restrictions, you can, in fact, exchange those policies without it being a taxable event, which is extremely helpful to folks. So those are the primary uh, tax shelters that exist out there for us, um, and I wanted people to know about it. Now, um, in, in my next segment, I really want to talk about the types of property that people can own, and it's asset protected without anything funky, without legal documents. It's just protected by law. And so I call it low-hanging fruit, Jason. 
And I think it's important for folks to know that they probably own property already that has asset protection tenancies uh, built into them. I think we all like the concept of low-hanging fruit, so I'm looking forward to that discussion, Bill. Don't forget that you can go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button. There you can register for this February seminar. It's free to attend, free to register. This is done in the form of a webinar. WGALaw.com is the website. Just click on that Seminars button. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's where you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also find information about his seminars. Just click on that Seminars button at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were teasing this before the break, but there's some low-hanging fruit when it comes to asset protection. As you know, I talk frequently about the four pillars of asset protection. And of course, the cornerstone of asset protection of any kind is having good liability insurance policies in place. That has nothing to do with legal documents or how much money you've got. Uh, that sort of thing. But if you have a car or you have a home uh, or or business property, you need liability insurance protection. That That's the cornerstone. Now, with that said, the uh, uh, you could call it an additional cornerstone, uh, but, it, you know, you can't have two. <laughs> so, but you can own property that by the nature of the property is asset protected. Now, I'm going to be talking about North Carolina because some of this is not necessarily protected in other states, but it is certainly in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of the few states that have that has a real estate um, ownership called tenancy by the entirety. That's exclusively for spouses, husband and wife. Uh, it, it is, uh, in fact, it's automatic. When you purchase a piece of property and you're married and the property goes in both names, it is, in fact, tenancy by the entirety unless you specifically have the deed prepared so that it's not. Now, uh, what that means is this, is that a, a creditor against either one of the spouses is not sufficient to go after the home. Even if you went into bankruptcy, if it was only one spouse that went bankrupt, if the home was owned as tenants by the entirety, the house is not subject in that bankruptcy. So a creditor actually has to go after both spouses and get a judgment against both spouses in order to even attempt to go after your home. And it doesn't matter how valuable your home is, whether it's paid off, not paid off, uh, you know, the only creditor that can actually reach your home is your mortgage company, the one you owe money to that you signed. You can take my house if I don't pay you. But no other creditor can actually reach to your house without a judgment against both spouses. Now, obviously, that goes away when one spouse dies or, uh, or you get a divorce and you're single. Either way, uh, that protection goes away. Uh, and, of course, that's important for folks uh, to realize. Now, 
It's also important to realize that there's no other form of ownership of real estate that is protected. If, if you inherit 10 acres from your parents with your siblings, and there's three or four of you that own it, that's called tenancy in common, and there's absolutely no protection. And a creditor of any one of the owners, any one of the three or four siblings, can basically make you sell the property in order to, to pay that debt of one of the uh, tenants in common. Joint tenancy with right of survivorship, same way, whether it's owned by husband and wife or not, uh, or siblings or partners or friends, doesn't matter. If it's joint with right of survivorship, it is not a protected real estate entity. A creditor of either uh, or, or multiple people who own it that way uh, can go after that property. And that's important. Uh, that's why for property um, that's not owned as husband and wife, uh, an LLC, limited liability company, is a, a good way of at least giving uh, people uh, far more asset protection than than not. Partners don't have asset protection if it's a general partner. You know, the creditor of one partner can go against the partnership typically. So, you know, that's why legal entities such as limited liability companies and corporations are so important in this um, uh, low-hanging fruit, if you will. So what are some of the other assets that are low-hanging? Well, life insurance, I already mentioned that. Uh, To the degree you have life insurance, regardless of the amount of cash value in it, Um, a creditor can't take that away from you. Now, this is based on state law. I mean, in some states, that may not be the case. Um, uh, Annuities are, you know, that's an insurance product that also is a protected asset uh, in North Carolina. Um, And so those are both helpful. Now, retirement accounts are protected, and, of course, it depends on what kind of retirement account you have as to why it's protected. So if if you have uh, what I call an ERISA-based retirement plan, such as a 401k, 403b, federal thrift savings plan, those are all uh, a 457 plan's another one. They're all ERISA-based plans. ERISA is a federal law, so guess what? Those plans are protected by federal law, and they're protected everywhere in the country. All right, but a lot of folks see advantages in having individual retirement accounts, and so most folks do, in fact, convert those federal ERISA plans over to IRA plans, and IRA plans are not protected by ERISA. Now, in, uh, I'm not aware that they're not protected in any state. In other words, they are protected in every state for the account holder. In other words, the person who created the account, earned it, contributed to it. And it's protected in every state for the spouse. But it is not protected in most states for others who inherit that retirement account. So guess who? children, (laughs) sometimes children, sometimes friends, sometimes grandchildren, 
But in many states, it's not a protected asset. However, the good news is in North Carolina, by state law, it is a protected asset even if it goes to the children or grandchildren. So that's really important uh, for folks to understand that their retirement accounts are protected uh, from creditors. And so those uh, are really important assets for people to know. And then again, I've also mentioned uh, limited liability companies, which is my favorite. And one of the reasons I like limited liability companies so much, even as opposed to a C corporation or an S corporation, is the fact that you can tax yourself with a limited liability company as a partnership or as a corporation or as a S corporation. And so that's a real advantage because if you have an LLC, regardless of how you're taxed, your creditors have a limited remedy in North Carolina. And of course, this varies from state to state as well. But the only remedy is what's called a charging order. And quite frankly, most creditors don't like charging orders. So that gives you not complete protection on a lot of fronts, but it does give you far more protection than owning uh, property or business outright. Um, so, and of course, corporations, uh, whether it's a regular corp or what we call an S corp, they both they give the owners uh, limited liability as well. So again, all of those are protected entities, which are very very helpful to us. Well, we can all act on that low-hanging fruit. It's always good to know that there's uh, asset protection vehicles out there that we can access a little bit more easily than others. If you want to learn more about asset protection, Bill has a webinar dedicated entirely to asset protection and trust planning. It's free to register, free to attend. All you have to do is go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button. There you can register for the February webinar, and Bill also has another webinar dealing with long-term care assistance, uh, Medicaid assistance, VA benefits. It's all online at WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back after this. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, uh, we want to spend some time before we head out today talking about uh, some savings tips that every family should have. Well, absolutely. And of course, um, as, as you know, Jason, uh, I do help families with investments. Uh, and and uh, it's important to me that every person, every family, recognizing that a part of their financial plan needs to be a savings bucket. Uh, and for me, I will never help a family to, to with their investments unless they already have an adequate savings bucket because to me, that's essential. You, you can't properly invest in anything unless you have a savings bucket. So it's, it's a critical. But then there's another question. It's like, okay, I, I can buy into a savings bucket, but how much do I need in my savings bucket? You know, where does that number 
come from, and it varies a little bit with every family. Uh, there's there's not one size fits all because we're all unique. We all have unique financial situations, but there really are in fact two needs. If you want to call them two buckets, that's fine. They're both savings buckets. But let, well, let me ask you this, Jason. What do you think that there? What probability? of having a financial emergency for you and your family this month. What do you think the probability of your having a financial emergency? (laughs) Financial emergency, uh, boy, let's say uh, 5% odds. Nope, it's not even close. Actually, it's 60%. Wow. Is that not crazy? Well, now I'm not talking when I'm not talking about a major emergency. I'm talking about a little emergency. Now, little can mean a lot to a folks because one of the sad things about what's going on in this country is that half of the families in this country have no savings whatsoever. So a little emergency is a crisis because those folks have to borrow money in order to pay for that crisis. And borrowing money when you don't have savings puts you in a hole that some people can't even get out of. And that's why it, I mean, that's one of the reasons why this country is getting in worse shape financially is because of the inability of lots of families to save their money. But uh, so that's something that that worries me a whole lot. But okay, what kind of emergency can happen? Well, uh, an easy one is your car can break down. Uh, you need a repair, and you know, um, it, it's you know, if your car actually breaks down, it's rare when the cost is less than five hundred dollars to get it repaired. Now, if you just need an oil change and those kind of things, it may cost you a hundred bucks or, or so. But you know, and for some folks, a hundred dollars is an emergency. But uh, you know, sometimes your car breaks down and it has to be replaced. Well, that's expensive because even if you finance every bit of it, you still have to pay for the taxes and and get the insurance premiums, which are going to be higher because a newer car is more expensive than an old car uh, when it comes to the, uh, all of the different things that are required. Uh, but for a lot of folks, sometimes it's because their roof needs to be repaired or replaced. That can be a fifteen dollars or $20,000 job. You might need a, a repair or a replace for your heater, your HVAC goes out uh you know they never go out when it's convenient (laughs) uh it's it's the kind of thing uh uh that you just uh cannot predict that's what an emergency is it's unpredictable it just happens and it's like oh gosh what am i going to do um, you could uh, have a slip and fall and, and uh, break your wrist or your arm or your hip or whatever, and then you have medical deductibles uh, to pay for. Um, you may 
be um, in a position to help a family member out who needs the same kind of, of situation. Uh, you may get in trouble by speeding, and you need to hire a lawyer to help you reduce that, that or get rid of that, <laughs> that. Or you might have an automobile accident uh, uh, where you have all of these situations uh, occur. Um, it, you may be so unfortunate as to have a fire in your home or a flood. I mean, we've seen both of those in North Carolina a bunch uh, in the last few years. So you might have to find temporary housing uh, or just you might have to replace all your furniture because of, of things like that. So the point is there are lots of little emergencies that can be more than a little at times, okay? And so it's like, well, how much should I have for those emergencies? Well... I'd say on a minimum, two or $3,000. But another way to look at it is, okay, what are my deductibles? You know, if you have a four or $5,000 deductible for health care, you better have four or $5,000 in the bank. Uh, how about your automobile insurance? Uh, you know, what's the deductible on there? Uh, and sometimes it's far better for folks to have higher deductibles because that, that makes their insurance less expensive. Um, you may have deductibles or elimination periods for your long-term care insurance. You know, that's another issue for folks. But, um, but for most families, you, you know, if you have, you know, five or $6,000 in the bank, that's a, enough for the little emergencies. But is it enough for other things? And so that's what I need to talk about. So what are the other things? Well... Um, if you're like you are, Jason, you're actively employed, you're supporting your family. So what happens if you lose your job? That's, that's the crisis going on in the country. You know, there's an awful lot of folks. We have the highest unemployment rate we've had many, many years, and it's over 7% right now. So there are a lot of folks without jobs. If you lose your job, your family probably is not going to have enough money to pay the bills. Or let's say you're in a car accident and you're injured, seriously injured, uh, and you're out of work for six months or, um, or you're permanently disabled. You know, All of those are horrible things that can happen to people where you need probably six months to a year of income in savings to get you over that hump. Um, and even a person who's retired, you know, who, who can't lose their job, <laughs> they also have a risk where they have a major potential crisis. And guess what that is? Long-term care. So you need liquidity to be able to pay the bills. So how much do you need for that other crisis? I would say most people need something in the neighborhood of five months or six months of, uh, of the ability to pay a bill. And for long-term care, that can be three to five or even $10,000 a month, so something close to $50,000. So that's a whole bunch to have in savings for a lot of folks. But that's an essential part of any kind of financial plan. That is, and making sure that you have that uh, savings bucket at the ready is so key. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance or asset protection and trust planning, 
be sure to head over to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button there. You can register for February's webinars. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great weekend.